I want to begin this message called Gender Matters with some ground rules and some foundational points. Number one, the topic we will be addressing may not be appropriate for younger children as I will be using terms some may not be ready to hear. Um, So if you're here with a young child and you're like, oh, I don't know, uh, I'm going to pray now for our message. And if you want to step out with your child, we have screens throughout the facility, even a family room there. Uh, On the other hand, perhaps you're thinking, I'm glad my child is with me, and uh, we're glad that you're here. Um, So, Lord, we we commit this uh, sermon now to you. Lord, we thank you for the clarity of your word that speaks into confused lives today. Lord, would you help us to understand what your word says? Would you give us compassion for those who are confused? Lord, would you help us to know how to respond? Lord, would you ultimately be glorified in our lives as we represent you well. And so, Lord, use this time to equip us to live on mission where you have us in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, on our campuses, here in this community. Lord, we thank you for the work of uh, our missionaries around the globe today. Lord, we also thank you for what you're doing uh, among our students with 30 of them at a high school retreat this weekend. Lord, we pray as they wrap up that they would uh, cement and solidify decisions they've made to rededicate themselves to you. Lord, may you have all the honor now, and we pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. amen. Number two, normally... I like hearing amens when I'm preaching, but I'm going to ask you to refrain today out of respect for an individual or a family member who might be struggling with this topic. I want us to be respectful. And number three, related to that, it's important to distinguish trans activists who are lobbying for transgender rights from others who are confused or misled. Number four, we will be guided by the biblical framework we learned from Genesis 1, verse 26 last weekend. Everyone matters to God because everyone is made in the image and likeness of God. Because we are image bearers of God, our purpose is to reflect to reveal, and to represent him. Number five, my primary aim is to clearly present what the Bible says about this topic. I'm certainly no biologist. I'm not an expert on gender matters, but I am a pastor, and I'm committed to teach with biblical conviction and with compassion to show that God's way is best and it's the most beautiful way to live. We're not to conform God's word to our opinions and feelings, but instead we're to conform our opinions and our feelings to God's word. Someone told me recently that she stopped attending Edgewood because we spoke against homosexuality. She referred to knowing some gay people who are really nice and her God would not condemn anyone. I tried to help her see that homosexual behavior is a sin, but God still loved her friends. See, the issue is not how nice someone might be. The real issue is always... What does the Bible say? Number six, we won't cave on sin, nor are we out to clobber sinners. Instead, we're committed to follow Jesus Christ as our example. It was said of Jesus in John 1.14 that he was full of grace and truth. When a woman was caught in adultery, John 8.11, Jesus ministered grace to her 
and he told her the truth. Neither do I condemn you, he said. That's grace. Go and sin no more. That's truth. And so likewise, you and I are to minister in truth and with grace as we speak the truth in love. Remember, it is loving to tell the truth because truth always brings freedom. Jesus said in John 8, 32, the truth will set you free. Truth is found in a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. Number seven, I recognize that a very small number of people have a genetic or hormonal anomaly which affects sexual development. In rare cases, their genitalia may be damaged or ambiguous. However, these exceptional cases have effectively been hijacked by activists who promote radical gender ideology. The truth is that that does not change the normal design of God's order or the dignity of those with this disorder. Number eight, children are on the front line. As social media TikTok in particular, schools, celebrities, and even some libraries are promoting an unbiblical and unnatural gender ideology. This worldview involves a comprehensive sexuality education. The one example comes from a picture book written for four-year-old children. I had a picture of the cover of the book I was going to put up on the screen, but in reflecting on it, I I can't do that. The book features two transgender children. Here's one line from the book, quote, Only you know whether you are a boy or a girl. No one can tell you. The author explains, Some children will realize their true identity is not the gender they were assigned at birth and will choose to make a social transition to live as their true gender. When I pulled that book up, other book titles came up asking me to buy them. They're book titles for kids. Here are some of the titles. Bye, bye, binary. I'm not a girl. Jacob's New Dress and Gender Swapped Fairy Tales. Some school districts are using the gender-bred person to propagate this ideology. One handout reads like this, quote, gender isn't binary. It's not either or. In many cases, it's both and. A bit of this, a dash of that. This tasty little guide is meant to be an appetizer for gender understanding. It's okay if you're hungry for more after reading it. In fact, that's the idea. Other districts are using the gender unicorn to spread these lies. We shouldn't be surprised. Our own president invited a man made famous by TikTok who now claims to be a glittering girl. He not only thinks he's transitioned to a woman, he's gone from a man to a girl. He invited him into the White House for an interview last month, and our president gushed about the need for so-called gender reassignment surgeries. Things in Illinois are not much better. Number nine. Because our time is limited and my expertise is inadequate, we've included some very helpful resources on the Sermon Extras tab on our website. You can access that through edgewoodbaptist.net or our mobile app. Let me go over these because they're extremely helpful. I'm familiar with all of these. First of all, if you're going to read one book, I recommend Gender Ideology, What Do Christians Need to Know? It's written by Sharon James. It's only 125 pages long, and you can see I have highlights like on every page. Found it very helpful. By the way, when you go to this part of our website, those are all hyperlinks. You click on it, it'll take you right to a site where you can purchase that book. The next resources are all free. The first one is called Helping Children with Gender Confusion. That's from Focus on the Family. Next is a 
uh, called When Transgender Issues Enter Your World, again from Focus on the Family. Um, There was a sermon I listened to several years ago by Pastor Rob Willie from Corumdale Bible Church, and I went on their website and saw that the sermon notes are available. I contacted Rob for permission, and that sermon is available also. I highly recommend it. Number five, a biblical perspective on transgender identity, a primer for parents and strugglers from Focus on the Family. I like Pastor Rob's statement regarding why he preached on this topic. This is what he said. My purpose is to inform your thinking, solidify your biblical convictions, fortify your courage, fuel your prayers, and encourage your response. You know this, that over the past few years, a transgender tsunami has swept our nation. Sharon James writes, this challenge to the man-woman blueprint which lies at the foundation of family and society is unprecedented. As an example of this, are you aware that the third Wednesday of October is now celebrated as International Pronouns Day? We live in an age of unprecedented confusion about sexuality where it is now trendy to be trans. According to a Pew Research study from June 2022, 5% of adults ages 18 to 29 identify as transgender or non-binary. That's over 2 million young adults. Friends, belief in the Bible and in basic human biology has been declared bigoted and transphobic. And so let me give a one-sentence summary of what the Bible teaches. In God's good design, he created everyone as male or female. And as we continue in our verse-by-verse study of the first chapter of Genesis, we come now to verse 27. I'd love for you to open your Bible to see God's Word with your eyes. If you don't have one with you, there's a Bible in front of you. It's important for you to see that this is what God says. So when you're interacting with a family member or a co-worker or a classmate, you know. So let's look. Verse 27, Genesis chapter 1. So God created man In his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. These 12 words in Hebrew, in English there are a few more words, but there's 12 in Hebrew, they're arranged in three lines, each with its own poetic repetition and cadence. And just as a poem is often employed to accentuate something with carefully chosen words and word pictures and images, so here God is celebrating with superlative language how men and women are created in his image. The word so connects us to verse 26. It expresses agreement or confirmation. Would you observe three times the word created is used in each line, thus emphasizing the uniqueness of God creating mankind as male and female. From this point on, humanity is divided into two groups, males and females. In addition, the fact that we are made in the image of God is stated twice for emphasis, and last week we saw in the previous verse, it also says we're made in God's image. And so let's ponder the phrase, male and female, he created them. In Hebrew, it literally reads this way, as male and female created he them. Males and females are equal, but not identical, because their biological sex is separate and distinct. 
God created males and females on purpose with different purposes. We've, made, we've been made differently by design with distinct capacities and roles to fulfill the divine mandate to serve as stewards of the earth. More about that next weekend. Now, there are three primary characteristics that distinguish males from females. First, different reproductive organs. Next, different external anatomy. We could also add internal anatomy. Bone structure is different. The pelvic cavity is different. Muscle mass. And finally, the presence or absence of a Y chromosome. Gender is designed by the grand designer at conception. From our DNA to our reproductive organs, God is the giver of gender. Males and females do not have interchangeable anatomy, and those differences are not inconsequential. Both the Bible and biology make this clear. I like how Bethlehem Baptist Church fleshed this out. We affirm that when God created human beings, he established a male-female binary that is normatively displayed at the chromosomal level of human biology. These biological markers cannot be legitimately chosen or changed based on personal preference, subjective feeling, or societal norm. When I was reflecting on this passage, I wondered what would it be like if Adam would have said something like this to God. God, I know you made me as a male, but I feel like I'm a woman, and so I'm wondering if you could remove the anatomy you created me with. The phrase, according to its kind or according to their kinds, is used ten times In Genesis chapter 1. Why? To indicate that there are separate species and genders which are distinct and different. Clearly, God established categories of creation. In addition, if you read through Genesis chapter 1, the word separate is used five times and means to set apart. That's a word of distinction, of differentiation. The creation account in Genesis shows how God separated many things. He separated the light from the darkness, the waters above from the waters below, the dry land from the waters. He separated the day from the night, and he separated humankind into two biological sexes. Now, if we go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it reads, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of of the deep. And we see in the creation account how God brought design and order out of this chaos of formless emptiness, and He did it by creating distinct and separate categories. Sadly, because creation distinctions have now become fluid, our culture has slidden back into a dark chaos, leaving us as a culture formless and unfulfilled. Friends, settle this. In God's good design, he created everyone as male or female. Let's drop down to Genesis 1.28, where we see how Adam and Eve were made to complement each other in an intimate relationship so they could have children. This is all part of the blessing given by God when he made men and women with different bodies. Meet me in verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Because of God's creative and wise design, when Adam and Eve came together physically in their separate genders with their distinctive reproductive organs, they were able to produce the next generation. God's plan was for them to flourish and be fruitful. 
So when God created humankind as male and female, he didn't just say it was good like he did with the other elements of his creation. Oh, would you observe in verse 31, when God surveyed what he created and he had just created man as male and female, observe what he said. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. The word good means well-pleasing. The word very has the idea of being exceedingly great. I saw something this week. Would you notice the progression in these verses? First, human beings are made in the image of God. He made them male and female. He made them to procreate, and he called it all very good. These bedrock truths from Genesis chapter 1 help us resolve many moral matters, including the definition of marriage. As one man and one woman united in a covenant relationship for life. Listen, we can't change our sex nor are we to have sex outside of a monogamous marriage between one man and one woman. God's way is always best. And contrary to the thinking in our current culture, binary is not bad. It's beautiful. Gender is not just a social construct or what someone may choose as their identity. Your gender was designed and determined at conception. Psalm 139 says that because God formed your inward parts, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. To say it another way, your biological sex and gender are fixed and finite. They're not fluid. Well, let's go now to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. We read what happened when, when Adam was all alone. Look at verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. God created Eve to perfectly complement Adam, and he made Adam to perfectly complement Eve. And after a delightful description of how God created woman, Adam breaks out into poetry, speaking the first recorded words from a human. Look at verse 23. It's as if he explodes with delight. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of Man. You see that? God's answer to Adam's loneliness is simple and yet very profound. He created a corresponding partner for Adam. She was like him. She came from him, and yet she was different from him. The Hebrew words tell the story. The word for man is ish, I-S-H. The word for woman is isha. Adam was very cool with all of this. In the original, he exclaimed, Whoa, man, which is where we get woman from. (laughs) By the way, that'll be the only humor in the sermon today. (laughs) Chapter 2 ends with harmony in the home. Look how chapter 2 ends. In the man and his wife, see the two genders again? The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, unfortunately, all of that changes when you get to Genesis chapter 3, when sin enters the world. Next, let's consider Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. Here we see God prohibits the blurring of gender identity. That's one big reason drag queen story hour has no place in schools or libraries. 
Jesus confirmed the creation of Adam and Eve. So some people are like, okay, that's Genesis, that's Old Testament, the Old Testament doesn't apply, Uh, they discount it. Well, take him to what Jesus said, Matthew 19, verse 4. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning, oh, it sounds like Jesus believed Genesis, made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He said something similar in Mark chapter 10, verse 6, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. The Apostle Paul also affirmed God's creative design of two genders coming together in marriage to become one. Listen to Ephesians 5, verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. You can see that's why Genesis is so foundational. Oh, there's another passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Verses 19 and 20 tells us our bodies don't ultimately belong to us. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? He's writing to believers. Whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. In God's good design, he created everyone as male or female. Sharon James, in her book, Gender Ideology, says it strongly, to disparage the physical human body is to disparage the God in whose image we are made. To downplay the male-female distinction is to reject God's design. Let me say it clearly. Transgenderism is unbiblical and it's sinful. Now, that doesn't mean people who feel this way or act this way are beyond God's love. In his sermon on this topic, Pastor Rob gave eight reasons why it's wrong. I'll go through these quickly. I commend his sermon uh, to you to read on your own. Number one, it's contrary to God's design for humanity. Number two, it opposes God's design for you. Number three, it's confusing, and God is not a God of confusion. Number four, it makes provision for gratifying the desires of your flesh. Number five, it exchanges God's glory for man's. Number six, it dishonors the body God gave you. Number seven, it's narcissistic, worshiping and serving yourself. And number eight, it's unnatural and dishonorable. Now, this is a good place to address the cultural confusion between the terms biological sex and gender. Now, if you feel confused, it's because it's very confusing. Many terms have been newly created. Older terms have been redefined. And they've become quickly accepted even though their definitions, the definitions themselves, are often fluid. Here are some of the terms you might hear. First, gender. Now, gender has always been used as a synonym for one's biological sex, but this term has been hijacked by gender theorists. It's often referred to as the gender spectrum. In 2014, Facebook provided 56 gender options. By 2018, 71 options were provided. Facebook has since provided a custom gender option. Their words, and I quote, now if you do not identify with the pre-populated list of gender identities, you are able to add your own. So let me just say to this that it's common to hear someone say that a doctor assigned their gender at birth. That's not true. The doctor simply identified what God determined your gender to be. Another phrase you might hear is gender dysphoria. 
That's the feeling that one's emotional and psychological identity doesn't match the biological sex someone was born with. You might hear it expressed this way, I feel trapped in the wrong body. Next, you might hear the phrase gender identity. That's very common. It has to do with how someone senses they are or who they feel themselves to be. But it's important to remember to be human is to be male or female. So we settle this this way. Your sex is your gender and your gender is your sex, period. It has nothing to do with you might, what you might feel because it's in the cellular level. It's written into the DNA of nearly every cell in your body. Gender expression is a phrase you might hear where someone uses that to present themselves to others as male or female or some combination of the two or neither. This may include language, pronouns, clothing, actions, and even more. Now, this expression is often fluid and is based entirely on how one may feel. Here's the idea. If you say it, that settles it. But we must rise above that confusion and hold up this truth. If God says it, that settles it. Next is the word transgender. That's an umbrella term. It's used to include everyone who feels any dissatisfaction with their biological sex and also for those who want to cross-dress. Transgenderism is often defined as the expression of a feeling that your gender does not correspond to your sex. Non-binary refers to someone who does not identify as exclusively male or female. Transsexual, people who are biologically normal and healthy men or women who live as members of the opposite sex. They may or may not have taken hormonal treatments or have had surgical treatments. The next phrase or next word is cisgender. That's a recently coined term. It really means the opposite of transgender. Well, here's what I want to say to that. Don't play the game if you're asked if you're cisgender. Simply say this, no, I'm not cisgender. I'm a man or I'm a woman. So let me just add, to define the terms is to win the argument. Do you notice how many new terms are used? Someone said it like this, he who controls the language controls the masses. So here's what happens when we use nouns or pronouns incorrectly, it's often called hate speech. It makes me think of Orwell in 1984 with newspeak and thought police and doublethink and the on-person and the ministry of truth. Now, at the core, let's settle this. The theory that binary is bad and we can construct our own gendered identity is an attack upon our Creator. Listen to Isaiah 45.9 in the New Living Translation. What sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator? Does a clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it, saying, stop, you're doing it wrong? This is really a new form of an ancient heresy called Gnosticism which taught that the soul or feelings were good and the body was bad. You see, if the body does not matter, one could do whatever one wished with the body because the soul was the true self. And please know that hormone treatment or surgery cannot reassign sex. Sharon James writes, it's impossible to change sex. You can only change appearance. 
Our birth sex cannot be changed. No amount of surgery can change a man into a woman or a woman into man. The XX or XY chromosomal pattern is set at conception. Another author states, people who undergo sex reassignment uh, procedures do not become the opposite sex. They merely masculinize or feminize their outward appearance. On Thursday of this week, I received a phone call from an Edgewood member. She had just read an alarming story about new K-12 library books depending teen sexual acts between boys and a book aimed at second and third graders that encourages child cross-dressing. She was upset and alarmed, and rightly so. I had that same article on my desk. It made me feel nauseated, and I'm leaving out most of what's in it. And my friend, this Edgewood member, kept asking this question, and it's probably a question many of us are asking, Pastor, what can we do? How do we respond? Well, I appreciate this statement from Focus on the Family. It's a good reminder, every human possesses inherent dignity and immeasurable worth. Christians are called to defend and protect the marginalized and suffering among us. There is no place for shame or degradation. Biblical humility also guides us. Sin is pervasive and impacts each of us. There is no room for pride or judgment. Temptations are common to us all. I shared a number of action steps with this Edgewood member, and I pass them along now for all of us to consider, and I've added a few since that phone call. In God's good design, he created everyone as male or female. Number one, pray. And you might be thinking, oh, sure, we're supposed to pray. That's always what we're supposed to do. Listen, this is a spiritual issue. And so we need to put on our spiritual armor and pray bold prayers. Let me remind you of what Jesus said in John 10, verse 10. Satan has unleashed his attacks on image bearers of God. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. And Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Number two, vote biblical values. There's no excuse for a Christ follower not to vote. And now would be a good time to register so you're ready for the next election. Number three, Teach children and grandchildren God's good design. God created everyone in his image, and he created men and women differently by design. And knowing we are created by God as male or female is a very good thing. It is extremely good news. It liberates us from the pressure of having to come up with our own gender identity. Parents or grandparents, you might want to take this sermon manuscript. You can get the whole manuscript on our website or the app. We also email the manuscripts out on Friday afternoon if you give us your email. You might want to take this message, contextualize it for the age of your child or your grandchild. By the way, our student ministry and our mainspring ministry address topics like this on a regular basis. In fact, it was Pastor Kyle who gave me this book. Number four, love. Now, there's a place for righteous anger about this issue. But let me call us to the response of love. We need to make sure we're demonstrating love to people made in the image of God especially to those in our families. I have yet to meet someone who was argued into the kingdom of God. I have still not met somebody who was yelled into becoming a Christian. Let's remember Romans 2 verse 4, God's kindness leads to repentance. 
Number five, let's make sure we're protecting our vulnerable children. Parents, it's essential that you monitor what your child is looking at on their phone. What social media sites they're visiting. You need to be up on that. Because they're getting a message through social media. They're getting messages from celebrities who've transitioned. They're getting messages from their friends and in some cases in their schools. Now, let me be quick to say the majority of teachers I know support traditional definitions of human sexuality and the family. I'm pro-teacher. My mom was a teacher. My sister has been teaching for over 30 years. And I celebrate that so many teachers and administrators from Edgewood are living on mission in our public schools, and they're making a difference. But let me be clear. The American College of Pediatricians says this, quote, conditioning children into believing a lifetime of chemical and surgical impersonation of the opposite sex is normal and healthful is child abuse. You go, well, that's strong. Let me remind you of the source. The American College of Pediatricians. I've heard it said like this, changing genders is short-term gain with long-term pain. According to the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of the American Psychiatric Association, that's the standard in the industry, as many as 98% of gender-confused boys and 88% of gender-confused girls eventually accept their biological sex after naturally passing through puberty. And so now let's not let young children make a life-altering decision before their brains or their bodies are fully formed. I think of a quote from John Stone Street, ideas have consequences. Bad ideas have victims. Number six, speak up. Parents must be informed about what is being taught in schools and speak up when necessary at local school board meetings. You see, unfortunately, those promoting gender theory often present parents as unsafe, parents that are bigoted, or parents who are transphobic if they don't support this ideology. Let me say it clearly. Parents are responsible for their children. Parents have rights and are right to question what their child may be exposed to. Number seven, prepare for pushback. If you stand on biology and the Bible, you will be, not might be, you will be increasingly marginalized. In addition, your kids and grandkids who take a stand on truth will be teased and bullied and maybe worse. Pastor Chris told me just a couple days ago, many students feel pressured to say they are bi, bisexual, because... If they say they're straight, they're seen as intolerant. Can you even imagine that? That pressure they're under? If you share biblical truth about transgenderism, you may find yourself labeled, canceled, or worse. And some of you have already experienced that in your own family, in your workplace, on your campus. Recently, I read a couple chapters of a very helpful book by Ryan Anderson. It's called When Harry Became Sally, Responding to the Transgender Moment. Ryan Anderson is a Christ follower, a very well-researched book. I was glad I was able to read these chapters because when it first came out, Amazon banned the book because it didn't line up 
with their policies. Now, thankfully, they changed their mind, and it is now available. For the first time in my life, I watched Dr. Phil. (laughs) It was an interview with Matt Walsh, who produced a documentary called, What is a Woman? During that segment, the entire studio audience turned against him. Number eight, be hopeful. God can redeem and restore anyone through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Many today who've transitioned are now detransitioning. It's like another word. But they're realizing that they shouldn't have made that decision. And many are seeing the emptiness and they're like, okay, I did all these changes. I'm still unsatisfied. I'm still miserable. And many are finding peace and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. After describing a long list of aberrant behaviors and sexual sins, 1 Corinthians 6.11 says, and such were some of you. You used to be like that. But you were washed You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Number nine, share the gospel. The post-fall condition of humankind can be seen in many areas where things have gone awry, all around us and within our own hearts. Friends, we need to be quick to share God's love and the message of forgiveness, the message of freedom, the message of healing, and the message of hope while gently and strategically guiding a person back to the Creator's gracious intention and design. The gospel changes everything. Number 10, churches must speak up. John Stone Street writes this, with a 900% increase in young people claiming gender dysphoria, love must speak the truth. As gentle as we must be with those who struggle with whom God created them to be, the church has to stand for what is true about humanity including God's good creation of the human body and the inherent value each person has since they bear his image. Now, one would expect churches to unite in speaking out for God's creation design and speaking against gender theory. But sadly, many churches have gone silent and others have embraced the transgender movement. Last month, just a couple weeks ago, a well-known mainstream Protestant denomination, if I said the name, you would recognize it, on their membership application added a third gender option for, quote, non-binary, genderqueer people. One of our Sunday growth groups here at Edgewood is called the Bereans. There's groups that meet during 9 o'clock and 1045. One of those, the Bereans. This group spends time each week going deep into God's Word. Recently, they studied Edgewood's statement of faith, and they walked through everything that we believe. It took them months. They looked up every reference. They worshiped as they did that. And then they made some recommendations about adding a section dealing with gender issues. Uh, They passed it on to me. I took a look at what they had done and then studied and added some other elements to it and also looked at what other gospel-preaching, Bible-believing churches have developed and incorporated some of that insight. Our deacons and pastoral team also gave some input. And we hope to present a final draft to the members for approval in the near future. So I'm going to read now this draft, which is not in final form, but I do want to read it. We believe that God's design for his creation and his way of salvation serve to bring him the greatest glory and bring us the greatest good. God's good plan provides us with the greatest freedom. Jesus came that we might have life and have it in an overflowing measure. 
He is for us and not against us. Therefore, in the spirit of faithfully serving Christ and his church and witnessing publicly to the good purposes of God for human sexuality revealed in the Bible, we offer the following affirmations and denials. We believe that God wonderfully and immutably creates each person as male or female in his image for one another. Males and females are defined by their anatomical and reproductive organization. These two distinct complementary sexes are determined at conception and together reflect the image and nature of God. To deny any part of this teaching is to subject God's purposeful design to the desires of humanity and the influence of contemporary culture. We understand that a person can never thrive or flourish apart from living in harmony with God's design and creation. Therefore, rejection of one's biological sex is a rejection of the image of God within that person. We believe that one's sex is biological, immutable, unchangeable by medicine, surgeries, or by any human declaration. Our sexuality is designed by God either for complementary unity with the opposite sex in the context of marriage, for procreation and mutual delight, or for celibacy in undivided devotion to Christ. We believe that God offers redemption, forgiveness, cleansing, renewal, reconciliation, restoration to all who confess and forsake their sins, seeking his mercy and forgiveness through the substitutionary death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He offers power to live free from bondage to sin for those who repent and turn away from disobedience to God's word. We believe that every person must be afforded compassion, and love and kindness, respect and dignity. Hateful and harassing attitudes, language or behaviors directed toward any individual are to be repudiated and are not in accord with our Savior, the Scriptures, or the doctrines of Edgewood Baptist Church. Friends, in God's good design, he created everyone as male or female. I'm going to end today in prayer. I invite you to pray with me. Lord, I I don't know what is happening in different hearts and minds of those engaging online or those of us right here in this space, but I know you do. And Lord, for some, this has raised a lot of concern, alarm. Lord, for others, perhaps they're unsure of who they are and how you've made them to be and have been wrestling on the inside and not even telling anybody. Lord, I pray that you would use your word, that truth would set people free. Lord, I pray that you would equip us as a church to have biblical convictions communicated with compassion, that we would speak the truth unflinchingly and be quick to do so in love, knowing that if it weren't for you, our sins would consume us. So Lord, into this culture you have sent us now, And certainly we lament, but Lord, also we have been born for such a time as this. So now that we've heard and been equipped, use us as we live on mission. We've gathered and now we scatter. Help us in our own own families, our extended families, our workplaces, our campuses, our neighborhoods, to shine as light and to influence and preserve as salt. We offer ourselves to you afresh, and we pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. 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 You can be dismissed.